All right, good morning. Um, I've been anxious this morning. To, I've been curious how my voice was going to be. And um, it's, it's really ironic this morning. You're going to find out in a minute. Um, I'm not going to raise my voice very much because I sound really silly when it does. It goes up three octaves as soon as I try to raise it. Um, and so uh, they're going to kind of up the mic for me. But it's crazy because I'm talking about Zechariah the priest this morning. Uh, who received the gospel of Christ, who actually was the first person ever, if you think about it, to receive the gospel of Christ. And he was made mute. And he couldn't talk. And it's crazy that that's what I was going to talk about this morning, and here I am. Um, but I want to I just begin with this scene with you. And I'm going to use some, some visuals this morning, obviously, uh, some videos to kind of help out. Um, go to my first slide here. Um, the temple. I just want to begin with the temple. Um, and what is happening in the narrative, narrative of Christ here? In the middle of the temple, and I need you to forgive my extremely cheap analogy, but it'll make sense in a minute, was a box. And in the middle of all of Israel, Israel was considered the navel of the world is what it was called. The center of the world. And in the center of Israel was Jerusalem. And in the center of Jerusalem was a temple. And in the center of the temple, the Holy of Holies. And in the center of the Holy of Holies, a box. And, and this was the pride and joy of Israel. Now, I recognize this. Some of you history scholars are thinking the box wasn't there in Jesus' time. I know that. It disappeared in Jeremiah's time, but bear with me. So in the middle of it was this box, the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember what was inside of it? Sticks and stones and old bread, essentially. Sticks and stones and old bread, exactly what you're not supposed to get in your stocking. This is what was in the Ark of the Covenant, right? Just sticks and stones and old bread. And we're going to come to that in a minute. And even though my presentation isn't going to be crazy impressive, never is, I hope the content of this will really, really get to you this morning, because this is a very powerful thought, I believe. It was Zechariah's turn. He was part, there were 24 courses of priests, and and in his particular family, they would only allow the new, someone who has never burned incense before, was allowed to come and, and cast lots, is the term that was used, to be the one that would come and burn incense before the Holy of Holies. Now I want you to know this, burning incense, if you walked into the tabernacle, and we're going to just play a game here and pretend that this is the tabernacle. If you came into the holy place, there would be a table of showbread on your right, the menorah, the the candles on your left. But as close as you could get to the curtain, to the veil, where the Ark of the Covenant was, was the altar of incense. This was as close as you could get to what represented God in the holy place. And the the priests would stand, and and I love it when um, history complements the narrative of Scripture. And so I'm just going to read you a little bit from the Mishnah and the the Talmud. These are the ancient oral traditions of the Jews. This is what it says. At first, whoever would might sweep the altar and cleanse it and offer incense. It happened that two men alike ran up 
And one one ascended to the altar and threw the other man down the stairs and his leg was broken. And the Sanhedrin saw that they came into danger. They ordained that they should not cleanse the altar, but unless they did it by lot. And so I love it when history kind of complements that narrative that this is the reason why they cast lots is two priests wanted to do this. And one said, no, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to break your leg. And, and that's what happened. That's the history, right? And so they would cast lots. And, and the Talmud tells us this. This is how they cast lots. Those that had never done this before. And I don't know how many times that maybe Zechariah did this and wasn't chosen because we know this. Keep this in mind. He is an old man. We know that from the story. And his wife is old. And so we have two women at the beginning of the gospel, one too young and too impossible to have a child and the other too old to have a child. This is how the narrative begins. And Zechariah and the priest would stand in a circle and they were all told to hold out fingers. And I think they just used their right hand and they would put out finger. They couldn't use their thumb. And you'll find out why in a minute because you can cheat with your thumb because it's too short. And they would choose a number of digits to put out, four, three, one, whatever they wanted. And then they would agree upon a number, say 80. And they would all stand in a circle with their fingers held out. And the, the, the high priest would count their fingers until they got to the number 80. And you were the one chosen. And so they would, they would, they would land on Zechariah. And Zechariah, man, all of his life, this is the highest honor of your position. This is the greatest moment of Zechariah's life. To be the priest, to come into the most, well not the most, to the holy place. To come before the altar of God and offer incense. This was his moment. This was his time. And he walks in and there's an angel of the Lord standing there. And he receives the gospel. He's the first person ever to hear these words. He will, your son will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people for the Lord. He heard that Christ is coming and he walks out of the temple. He, he doesn't believe it. He says, I need to remind you something. I'm old. My wife is old. He doesn't believe this is possible, right? It's so much like so many of the stories in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, a lot of these. And, and he's made mute. Now, can you imagine? You're the first person to receive the gospel of Christ. And you can't talk about it. In fact, we find out later in the narrative, because they have to make signs to him, remember? When they were saying, hey, is this, are we going to call the boy John or not? They have to make signs to him. So he couldn't hear either. He couldn't speak and he couldn't hear. And you find out, well, he writes down his name will be John, which for other reasons is a big deal that he did this. But you think, well, maybe you're asking the question I was asking. Well, couldn't he just write down everything for everybody? No, because, because writing implements, parchment, a lot of these things, they weren't readily accessible. Only, only the very wealthy had these kinds of things. They, they wrote on shards of clay. And, and that's how a lot of communication was done if it was by writing. It wasn't like he could just go, can you imagine if you can't speak, you can't hear, you're the first with the gospel and you just have sticks to write in the dirt with. And this is all he's got. He's, he knows this. 
I'm old. And I'm about to have a son. And I want the world to know that. That's one message he's got. The second message is this. I saw an angel in there. Okay. And the third message he's got is our Savior is coming. Get ready. And he can't talk. He can't talk for, I'm assuming, nine months. He can't talk. Ooh. Such a powerful story. The next few weeks, we're going to be looking into the depth of this picture. I'm just going to put this picture in front of you. This is a picture. I passed by three of these on my work on my way here today. It's a picture you've been familiar with all your life, and I need you to look past, because a lot of you are like me, were there really three, you know, that came to visit? Look past all of that. I just want you to look to the simplicity of this picture. Because that has come to mean more to me this week. And, and, and I'm not being emotional. I'm not, yeah, I am, I guess. But I really mean that. I'm, I'm going to explain why. The image that is in front of you right now is so incredibly profound. Colossians says this, In Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All in this picture that you see before you. I want to play a video. See this box? This is a gift for the whole family. You see, we are a Christmas decorations right after Thanksgiving dinner type of family. As soon as the stuffing is in the Tupperware, boom, we are setting out ornaments and lights. And truth be told, the lights stay out till mid-January at a minimum. Now, that may be because we just love the Christmas atmosphere and the Christmas spirit, or we're just lazy. I mean, we were devoted to the tradition of it, to the routine of it. I think in our hearts we just got lazy. We have this tradition where every Christmas we would all set up the nativity scene and we'd set it out diligently, routinely. It was almost as if we were just trying to get through that next hurdle so we could watch our Christmas movies. So I had this idea. That's right. I stole baby Jesus. I plucked him right out of there. I started doing this about four years ago. I wanted him to mean something when he was in the manger. Now I know what you're thinking. What? Why would a sane man hide the baby Jesus during Christmas? And I think therein lies the problem. A, I'm not that sane. And B, for me, Jesus was becoming just another ornament. And I just didn't want him to be that anymore. I wish you could have been there that very first year. It was Bedlam. Where's baby Jesus? Who took him? The mystery of baby Jesus' whereabouts was on the forefront of everyone's minds. And then before you know it, I started throwing out these little ransom notes. And then 
people were they were searching for clues and and every night at dinner table they would come up with these new theories for three weeks straight our house was cloaked in conspiracy Now, I may not be the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree, but I do know and I was raised to know that the most important thing about Christmas is to seek Christ. And that's why I hide the baby Jesus. My kids, they've gotten so into this. Two years ago, they made shirts that said, uh, keep calm and find Jesus. And last year, last year they made a Facebook and they posted everything on it. (laughs) You want to know where I hid baby Jesus this year? I hid him in our flower bed. Yep, gave him a little ransom note. Their last clue was this, Ephesians 5.2. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The fragrant offering part kind of confused my little one. She kept trying to look for him in the bathroom. Anyway, it took them a while, but they finally found him. still got it. So, I have to go back out and hide him again. Because we will not open this gift until Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll turn off the phones and the TVs. And I'll just be quiet. He came into the world quietly and I just want my family to absorb this. And then we will open up this gift, this amazing God-breathed, prophecy-filled gift. And we will sit around as a family and we will talk about why Jesus was the greatest Christmas gift ever. Um, just a minute, I want to go back a ways, back in history a ways, and look, about, look at this box again. And, uh, and I'm actually going to be in uh, Exodus chapters 29 and 30. Um, when God made his promise, the gospel in the Old Testament, was that I will make my dwelling among you. I'm going to tabernacle among you. And when God gave Israel this box... And it was to be filled with sticks and stones and old bread. The law of God, where stones were made, the very word of God. Aaron's rod that had budded after being dead. It came to life and it was put in this box. And bread that came from heaven was put in this box. And that was put in the center of Israel. And in Exodus 29, a priest is appointed and anointed. In Exodus 30, this is what they were called to do. In verses 11 to 16, I want everyone in Israel to bring gold. In verses 34 to 38, I need everyone to bring frankincense. And in verses 22 to 29, myrrh for the anointing. Frankincense for the incense. For the, the incense. 
liquid myrrh for the anointing, and gold. And they were to bring these things to anoint the holy place where God was dwelling among men. And this scene where you would come before this with two covering angels over the mercy seat. And this is what God put in the middle of all of Israel. And this is what Zechariah would come before in this big moment of Israel. Israel wondered because the ark of God had no place to rest. So it was clothed in, in tabernacles and in tents. And now we're brought to this story. And this is the image of you know maybe what it would have looked like when they're putting this all together. And this is, this is the gospel of the Old Testament. Now I want you to look back at this picture. You're coming, and they didn't know it. They were coming before God on earth in the flesh. And all of Israel is sleeping, and they don't understand the tabernacle of God is now among men. And they would come before him bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They would come before him and anoint him and consecrate him in the same way that the very ark of God and the very temple of God were consecrated. Aaron's rod that budded. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. That is what is in me. The tablets of stone, the law. He said, I am the very word of life. The jar of manna. I am the bread that has come down from heaven. I am the bread of life. And I'm so curious. Keep in mind, I'm not a father. Most preachers get to stand before you and tell all their I, I can tell stories about my puppy, okay. But some of you who are parents, and you know what it's like to hold a baby, you know? And you look and you're like, I can't imagine the prayers that you lift up. I can't imagine what goes through your mind. The gift of God that this child is, that this baby is. But when this baby was born, these parents stood over it. These people came. What does he represent? All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything. The word of life. So, over the next few weeks, when we come back to this image... An image you've seen over and over and over again. To me, it's so much like, uh, you know, the best part of Christmas is the gift that you don't know what it is. And I hope, I hope everyone gets one of those, you know, that you don't know what you're getting. Um, that one gift, my parents know, I, man, I peeked at my presents a lot when I was a kid. I mean, I went through great lengths to look at my presents. Um, but it's that gift that once you've opened it personally and you've seen inside and you don't know how to share it and that's the most difficult part to me about sharing the gospel is man from the time I was a kid I memorized verses about how to share the gospel with people most of you did too you memorized verses about, man, this is, this is what it is and this is how to represent it. But I'm going to tell you something. The gospel is so much more personal than that. For most of us to share what this means to you is not as simple as a bunch of proof texts. 
It is so sacred and it is so personal. And when you encounter Christ in your life and it becomes more than a doll in a manger and it becomes the center of everything you are, that's the gospel of Christ. And so part of sharing the gospel is sharing personally what does Jesus Christ mean to you? What has he done for you? How has he transformed you? A favorite part of this narrative is when Zechariah writes down, his name will be John. And his voice is opened and he starts singing. And he starts praising God with everything that's in him. I pray that through this, this next several weeks we focus on the birth of Christ. I pray that God, I do pray that he'll open my mouth, at least by next week. But I pray that he would open our hearts and our mouths to be able to proclaim what he's done for us. That the gospel will be something incredibly personal. And that evangelism will be something that's taken off of just a routine type of burden that we carry. But it would be, it would be our nature that we don't have anything in us, but we can't help but do that, right? Father, I just want to come before you. And I thank you for the patience this morning with my voice. And I praise you, Father, that, that I, I can't even get to the depth of this simple picture of a baby lying on a bed of stone and hay. I can't even fathom the depth of that mystery and how rich and beautiful it is. But I know what it has come to mean to me. And I pray, Father, uh, for the world today, for your people today, that we would be still before an image and that you would pierce our hearts with the depth of the meaning of your presence with us and among us and your love for us. Thank you for hope. Thank you for in the darkest hour coming as a light into this world. It's in Christ we come before you. Amen.